In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Throughout this season, we have lived, waited, and remembered the hope, peace, and joy of the Lord. Today, we light the fourth candle of Advent, the candle of love. Scripture tells us there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. God created this world in love, and this world will end in the love and light of God. God's love provides all aspects of this life, from birth to death, pain to delight. God's love is there. His light overcomes the darkness. Let's pray. Lord, um, we've been coming here for this past uh, several weeks to celebrate Advent. And within Advent, we realize, God, a lot of it is waiting. And we have been waiting for 2,000 years for your return. And yet your promises are true. As we've read through Isaiah these last two weeks, as uh, Pastor Steve spoke about what the prophet Isaiah wrote in, in the week two of Advent and, and as I spoke about at Advent in week three in Isaiah nine. And so God, can you help us to calm our hearts and help us to receive from you what you have for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So we, we did go through Isaiah last week starting in chapter two and we went through to nine just to kind of briefly give a an overview of, of what Isaiah wrote about hundreds of years, seven to eight hundred years before the birth of Christ, that he prophesied about this light coming to the world. And, and we saw how dark it was when Isaiah wrote those things and how not all that much has changed today. And then it's not until Isaiah chapter 9 that this light pierced this darkness of this good news, and it reads this in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so it, it's assumed that we will experience darkness in, in the world, but there's this grand plan, there's this greater plan. We, we talked about that from Genesis to Revelation, this grand plan there with the Abrahamic promise up until uh, Revelation 9-7 with all peoples worshiping together. Um, and, and there's this grand plan about this light coming through this darkness th through a child. And, and so he wrote this about Jesus in verse 6 of chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We also talked about how this plan was pre-Genesis, that Genesis is not the start of everything because God is eternal. And there were these spiritual things that were happening prior to Genesis, prior to creation. 
and that there is no beginning with Jesus, as we'll look at here in John chapter 1, that Jesus was not created, that God took the form of man in Jesus, that the human life of Jesus was not Jesus' beginning. So here we are in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When John wrote this gospel, the, the readers he wrote to had their faith undermined and challenged by serious opposition. And church history shows this to us. It confirms this for us, that the first few centuries of the early Christian church was full of persecution. And so when we look at history, it's a miracle that Christianity even exists today. You look at the early followers of Jesus, and there weren't all that many who converted from Judaism. The earliest converts, of course, were Jews, but it didn't take long for that to be overtaken by Gentile believers who followed Christ. And you'll notice that Christianity seemed to attract the least credible people. And not much has changed. But... um, (laughs) But it was people like that, people like us, that John wrote this gospel for. See, John wasn't simply writing a biography. He wasn't simply writing as a historian. John wrote as an evangelist. He wrote with the purpose of leading people to Jesus Christ. And he wrote this gospel, this good news of Jesus, and he recorded the evidence of that person. And through that person, his works, his words the words and works of Jesus, to bring people to faith in Jesus. That's his purpose. And so when we read these first two verses, the wording, it does seem kind of strange, right? Like, what? Word? What? What? What is this? But we got to go back into that time and think about how a Jew would interpret this, how a Greek would interpret this. And this is not strange at all to them because the Greek word for the word there is, is logos. And it refers to a rational principle of the entire universe. And it's the glue that brings cohesion to the universe, and they would understand that that's logos. And so to the Jewish mind, a little bit different, to the Jewish mind, that word, the word of God, was synonymous to the action of God. And so this is how they think this, and so when you're reading something like Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, by the action, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. So it's by God's word that he creates, he rules, he reveals, he rescues. And so Jesus, God, in the flesh, stepped into time, into our world. Why? And so that's why we're here for this Christmas service, is to celebrate this why. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. That's why. Now back to the Gospel of John in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light spoken of in John chapter 1 isn't merely some political ideology. It's not just some philosophy. Think about this. When has a political ideology or a philosophy dispelled darkness? When we think about politics and we think about philosophies, all of those things come and go. And if anything, it seems to spread darkness 
rather than dispel it. And when we're looking for light, it is not found in a thing. It is found in a person. And when we're looking at a person, we're looking at Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our relationship with Jesus isn't philosophical. It isn't political. It's transformational. It's interpersonal. And when we make our relationship or our religion, our faith, solely about philosophy or about politics, we trivialize that communion that we have with God, that interpersonal relationship that we have with God. Actually, when we make Christianity about anything except for Jesus, why he came, we trivialize it. And so then that's when we start pointing to people about, hey, you should be a Christian or you should follow Jesus because you'll feel better about yourself or your marriage will improve or you're going to gain a sense of purpose or you're going to parent better. Instead of, it's just Jesus, he's good. And, and why he's coming to save us from our sins and, and to, to point people to other things is distracting them from the real goodness of God. If we point people towards those good things, they're very good to have better relationships, to have purpose in your life, those are all really good things, but there is no difference from that belief with our Christian faith to another Christian faith because what Christian faith out there says, like, we want to help you have a terrible marriage or what kind of faith out there says, like, we want, you to, we want to teach you how to be a bad parent all these faiths teach those things, I think. I don't know all of, every single one of them, but I don't think they direct people to not having purpose in life. So when we're looking at this, when we're addressing people that have different faiths or when we're talking to people who are secular and they're doing the same things that everyone else is doing, they're working on their marriages, they're working on their parenting, they're working on their purpose in life, you can have all of those things in Christ, but what's most important than all of those great things is that interpersonal relationship with Christ. God desires fellowship with us. And I find this incredible that Almighty God, creator of the world, who breaks time and space to enter into ours, desires communion with me. And he wants to spend eternity with you. That's crazy. Because for those of you who are married, your spouse doesn't want to spend eternity with you. Like, <laughs> I'd love to spend eternity with Katie. I just don't know if she wants to spend eternity with me. But I, I'd love to. She's, she's not here to like correct me or... Um, encourage me or something like that. So I'll just believe that she does. Here's the weird thing. God doesn't even need me. God doesn't need you. He just desires that. 
And he's completely fine. He's completely independent without us. But he created us to, for, this, for this friendship, for this communion to, to be with us. And then somewhere along the line, this, this fellowship with God was, was broken. And we were separated from him. What we call sin. And that separation was repaired by Jesus. He entered in as a light from this Abrahamic promise, promise from Genesis to Revelation. And he repairs it. And so why did John write this gospel? John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This arrival from Jesus is not an accident, it's not a coincidence, it's not by chance. This was God's divine plan. Every created thing has a beginning. Every religion has a beginning, but God, Jesus, has no beginning. And the good news of Jesus coming to earth to bring light into this dark world is it's not a secret at all. He, he makes this a very public thing. Verse 5, John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God's plan of Jesus, the light coming into the world, the darkness, it's a very public thing for everyone to see, but not everyone embraces this light. And here's why. John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Darkness has attempted to overcome the light for thousands of years. But it hasn't been able to. There, there has been a fair amount of skepticism over the years. And you look at today's world, I think today is more about pluralism. Pluralism is having a run now. And there have been so many forms of darkness that have attempted to extinguish this light. And, and here's one that is really, really popular today. Today there's this belief that there's no real morally, moral binding authority beyond me, beyond myself, that, that I determine what is right, I determine what is wrong. But here's the thing, it's nothing new because essentially that's what happened in Genesis with Adam and Eve, that they were to determine what's right and what's wrong. And so there, the thought today is that there is no thing, there is no one, there is no truth that can hold me accountable because I'm my own person. Morally, intellectually, I'm my own person, and I determine what is right and wrong. And this belief has really been shifting over the past couple of decades because even though this is something that happened in Genesis 1, people have ebbed and flowed in regards to this thing, but 20 years ago, I... I found it much more hostile to share the gospel when I was talking to somebody and they would be, they'd be kind of like defensive and like pushing back on me and like confrontational. Nowadays, I don't find that same type of vitriol when I'm sharing 
uh, Christ with somebody, sharing my faith, sharing Jesus with somebody, I don't find that same opposition towards Christianity that I found decades ago when, when I actually had people like cussing at me or like spitting like, at me and stuff like that. I find people entering into this conversation that is going nowhere today. Whereas before, we had a point that we were trying to get to. We were trying to, we, even though it was hostile, we were trying to get to a point. We were trying to, like, get to a, a discussion point. But nowadays, it's just kind of really, like, flowery and spongy, and it's, it's so hard to talk. Like, it goes on forever. It's not so much going to a point. We're, like, going to a plateau, and then we just hang out there, and we just talk, and it's, like, really frustrating. But today, I don't find talking about Jesus all that antagonistic because the reason being is, is tolerance is practiced. I found people a lot less tolerant 20 years ago when talking about my faith. And today, it's, it's really tolerant that people really don't mind you talking about Jesus or Christianity or those types of things anymore because they just chalk it up instantly in their mind. Oh, that's your thing. That's your thing. And so I can respect that because that's your thing. And so they'll listen, but there's no like going to a point, and, and, and so everything's kind of relative. Right? That, that that's truth for you, but that's not truth for me. And so there are no absolute truths. There are no morally binding truths anymore. Everything's kind of flat. And so that's kind of our culture here. Right? That, that the tolerance is the actual religion. That tolerance is what we actually have to practice. And that people are less hostile today than I've ever experienced before towards Christianity. Today, the danger of all of this is that they're really benign to all of it. It doesn't affect them at all. It's just that Christianity is trivialized. And everything, not just Christianity, is, it's just tolerated. Everything is tolerated except for this, absolutes. Absolute truth, moral absolutes. And so if the truth or the morality is not absolute, then it's tolerated. Now, I'm not here to preach to you that uh, we believe in intolerance. That's not, that's not the point. Like, I, I believe in tolerance, that we need to practice tolerance in a lot of things. But we can't, be in, we can't be tolerant towards lies, right? You can't be tolerant towards lies. Because if you are, then how do you build trust if a relationship is built on lies? Now, followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that he was crucified, that he died, he resurrected from the dead, he ascended to heaven. Those are our truths. And so that either happened or it didn't happen. It is either a truth or it is a lie. And if it did happen, then we are accountable to what that means for us. If it didn't happen, we need to go seek counseling and therapy to stop believing the lie. Here's something to think about. Just logically, just using, using your reasoning. All faiths can be wrong, right? All faiths can be wrong. 
Even one faith can be right and all of them wrong. But not all of them can be right. Does that make sense? Because they contradict each other. So there are truths. We cannot tolerate a lie. So if all of these things are presented as truths, they are not. There are some lies in there. And you can't tolerate the lie. So you're going to have to figure out if they're just all lies or if there is a truth that sticks out of it and the rest are lies. But you can't possibly believe that they're all true. That doesn't make any sense. Now that's not to say that we can't agree on the peripheral things. Such as love. Like all of, all of the religions preach love. But we don't all agree on the central things. They don't all agree that Christ died for our sins, resurrected from the dead, ascended into the heavens, and is coming back again. They don't believe that. So either ours is the lie, or ours is the truth, or they're all lies. Isn't that reasonable? Isn't that logical? And it is illogical, and it is unreasonable to believe that every faith is equally right when they contradict each other. But the Bible says that we're in darkness and that we overlook that simple notion. And John wrote this in John chapter 3, verse 19. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People love the darkness. They embrace the darkness. They always have. Christmas is tomorrow. That's why we're celebrating. And, and when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, Herod orders an infanticide. He wants all these babies killed because he doesn't want anyone to take over his throne. And not much has changed because we don't want people to step into our throne. We don't want people to tell us what to do. We, we want to remain in power. We want to dictate what is right and what is wrong. We want our own philosophy to rule. We want our own politics to rule. And it's this, it's, I'm not saying that it's just secular people like a Herod, but you look at the religious people at the time, they're the same thing. They're the ones that want to kill Jesus. The religious leaders. Why? They want to remain in power. They want their religion to rule. Same thing is happening today. When we're looking at religion, when we're looking at politics, when we're looking at philosophy, that people don't want to give up their throne. We don't want anyone, Jesus included, to be on our throne. We want to dictate. Now, why wouldn't people want Jesus to rule their lives. If you're looking at just the character of Jesus and the history of Jesus and what he's done, I mean, he's bringing sight to the blind. He's helping the mute communicate again. He's healing the sick. He, he gave value to women and to children when they weren't given any value in that patriarchal society. He raised people from the dead. He fed the hungry. He loved people. Why wouldn't you want someone like that on the throne who never demanded it. And actually, when people wanted to thrust him in there, he was like, it's not time yet. Why wouldn't you want someone like that on the throne? I think it's because we're, we're in darkness. And that we're lost. 
Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And unless we recognize we're in darkness and we recognize that we are lost, there won't be any acknowledgement that we need a Savior. If you've always been in the dark, you don't know that you need light. If you are dead, you don't know that you're alive. You're dead. Back to John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So God graciously took this initiative to give light to everyone. Everyone to receive the gospel. And so he comes out of eternity. He comes out of this timelessness to enter into time in the person of Jesus his son, so that we would live in light. That we who are living in darkness can come into light and receive new life, a fulfilled life with God for all of eternity, but not all welcome the light. So a question I have for you this morning is, are you in the light or are you in darkness? And it's something to just kind of ponder and pause about and to really think through. Because if you're in darkness, it's really hard to recognize light. You, you can lie to yourself, and that's something that we can't tolerate. We cannot tolerate lies, because they'll lead you down a wrong path. And maybe you don't understand who Jesus really is, but you're listening to this message this morning, and hopefully you do recognize the great lengths that God has gone through for you. For all of eternity, this grand plan of him entering into this world, that he's gone through all of this trouble and torment and suffering and death for you, for, you, for him to pull you out of darkness, to come to an understanding of who he is and that he welcomes you into light, into his life. Verse 10, John chapter 1, he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. By nature... We don't believe. By nature, we're, we're in the dark that even though Jesus did come and he created the world, that people still don't know him. Now, this is understandable if someone hasn't heard of Jesus before or they simply don't know who to worship, but, but there is enough evidence to believe in God, to, believe, to be a theist. Look at Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We've been celebrating Christmas in this country since its founding. And the story of Jesus has been readily available in this country since its founding for for centuries. But each year... This is something I've noticed as well. When like 40 years ago, when I'm a kid, a baby, or whatever, I'm disclosing my age, I saw a lot more Jesus stuff going on, and I did more 30 years ago, and then like now, I I don't, I don't I don't see it at all. God who came to us isn't recognized by the world which actually isn't all that surprising because even Jesus' own siblings don't recognize him or acknowledge him as Messiah or Christ at first. They they push him aside. They think he's nuts. And many people who heard about him didn't receive him as Christ when he was here. And those were the very people who were very familiar with messianic prophecies, who, who knew the scriptures. They were even expecting and looking for a Messiah. And when he appears right in front of their face, they reject him because he doesn't show up the way that they want him to show up. You're broke. You have no military. How are you going to overtake Rome who's oppressing us? Who are you? You're not the kind of God that we want. And and a lot of that's happening today. We're we're putting up these assumptions about how God should be. That God, you should be this way. You You shouldn't do these things. And we're putting all these assumptions. And we're rejecting the very truth of Jesus and who he really is. And we don't want that. And yet Jesus fulfilled hundreds, over 300 messianic prophecies in his coming. And we can go go back and look at them in the future, but we'll be able to see how accurately Jesus has fulfilled each one of those without any mistake or error. And so it's not so much that there isn't evidence for Jesus to be Messiah, because if someone really wanted that empirical evidence, you have over 300 messianic prophecies that you can look up and see how it matches church history. There's a lot of evidence. So it's not an intellectual thing that you're struggling with at all. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And by our nature, our hearts are are dark. You look at all the prophets God sent who were rejected. Essentially, all the Old Testament, right? And you look at all the prophecies fulfilled, all the signs God has given, but many are still in darkness, even though there is plenty of evidence as to who the prophets were speaking of, who they were writing of, and yet... God is rejected. Jesus is rejected. That's just our nature to be in that darkness because as long as we're practicing evil, we we feel comfortable there. We want to stay there. And the longer we're in the dark, the more comfortable it becomes. And that the light actually gets really uncomfortable. But Jesus' invitation is, if you're in the dark, come out into the light. To, to receive him, to believe in his name, to become a child of God, to, to take a step of faith into light. And it's a supernatural act. It has to be with a childlike faith in order to believe that Jesus is our Savior, to be saved out of darkness, to be regenerated, to be born again, remade, recreated. 
Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, and in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. One cannot see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God without regeneration. I'm going to play on our church name for a little bit. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. See, without regeneration, there is no understanding of the things of God. You know, without us, you know, no, I'm kidding. This makes my job impossible to people who have not been regenerated. I can't possibly, I can't possibly explain the things of God to natural man. It just won't make sense. It is completely an act of God to regenerate somebody. When Jesus was explaining this regeneration to Nicodemus, Nicodemus wasn't getting it at first. Even, even though Nicodemus is this very, very educated religious man, he's part of the, the Pharisees, he's part of the Sanhedrin, he, he knows the scriptures, but he's not regenerated. So, but Nicodemus, he, he knew the scriptures, he knew what the prophet Ezekiel wrote, right? He, in Ezekiel 36, 26, he wrote, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Nicodemus, he, he knew that he needed to be regenerated. But what, what is regeneration besides a funky church in Oakland? It's, it's a divine act of God. It's this divine act of God where, where a soul goes through this supernatural resurrection into this new realm of life, into this new dimension of life, where, where that soul becomes alive and united to God, united to Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times people put a lot of value on this physical body, and we think that our bodies have our souls, but, but it's kind of reversed. We are souls that inhabit this physical body. Thank God. I mean, this thing's like breaking down on me big time. Like my joints are hurting and stuff like that and all of this. It's miserable. These physical bodies break down. These physical bodies die. The eternal part of who you are, your soul, is prepared for a, created for a forever relationship that is beyond this physical thing. And it is God who is bringing us into that realm, into that dimension of understanding and reality for our souls. These are all temporary, this stuff. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
You know, it's just quite the mystery how the Spirit works. It's mysterious, this movement from darkness into light. It doesn't mean that Christians who are in the light are to be prideful about that and arrogant about that. Hopefully, if anything, it, it humbles us and it helps us to lead others to light because we were once in darkness ourselves. Let me end with this verse. It's found in John chapter 12, verse 46. This is Jesus. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Let's pray. Jesus, you are light come into our world. And there are many of us here this morning, God, that um, do not fully grasp that. And we pray for a greater understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.